This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Spencer Chase. Our guest this week is Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Foods Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most effective way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with IDFA President and CEO Michael Dykes, next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Michael Dykes took the helm of the dairy industry's manufacturing and marketing industry group three years ago this month. Those three years have presented a wide array of unique challenges to IDFA members and the dairy industry as a whole. But when considering the umbrella of policy issues that might come across his desk on a daily basis, Dyke says one stands out above the rest. Probably trade is front and center today. Uh, as we think about uh, where our industry stands today, the value of trade to our industry today, uh, you know, today about uh, one day's milking per week goes to the export market. Uh, and if we think uh, and reflect on the USDA information that we're going to have another 15% increase in milk production in the next decade, so another 33 billion pounds of milk coming our way, uh, we're going to have to expand our export markets. So trade is extremely important to us, getting the USMCA ratified. Mexico is our number one export market, uh, roughly 25% of our exports go to Mexico. Uh, Canada's our number two market. Uh, getting things right with China is going to be huge. $500 million market for us today. Could be a $23 billion market for us. Implementing the Japan Agreement, uh, phase one, we need to get to phase two on that. Uh, and then we need to look at other countries. I mean, we need to be looking at the rest of the TPP countries that are not included in the Japan deal. So. Uh, think about consumers, Spencer, you know, 95% of the cons world consumers are outside the U.S. borders. So we're, they have needs, they have rising incomes, they all want protein, they're going to want nutritious products. That should be an absolute sweet spot for dairy. We're high in protein, we're one of the most nutritious products there is, and our members uh, are the exporters, uh, and at IDFA uh, our members have been uh, four square behind the effort on trade and fully engaged with all of our legislative fly-ins and all of our strategic legislative fly-outs. It's, it's just a big issue. Mm -hmm. As the American dairy market looks to build a bigger customer base abroad, uh -huh. what are some of the things that the industry has been doing to try and improve that footprint overseas, be it you know, better relationships or reformulated products? What has the industry been doing? You know, Spencer, I, I guess the thing that comes to mind to me is, uh, you know, typically the export market has been big for uh, powders, uh, you know, skim milk powders, uh, non-fat dry milk, those kinds of things, uh, whey. Um, but as we look at the last few years, our, our U.S.-made cheeses have been able to compete in the marketplace. 
Uh, we had a blue cheese from Rogue River uh, Creamery in Oregon, uh, which is an IDFA member, just won the World Cheese Prize for blue cheese. So we're moving into the value-added products, and the uh, export value of our dairy products was at a record last year. So we we are we are moving beyond just commodity dairy products to value-added products in our export market, which is where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And export markets, but also here domestically, as we look at you know the USDA data showing fluid milk consumption being way down since the 1970s, but overall dairy consumption being way up. Yeah. What what's what's the gap there? What what's filling that gap and, and increasing that overall production of fluid milk is going down so much? Well, thanks for thanks for that that point, Spencer. And that's a point that I really want to make because I think uh, what's been in some of the recent media coverage is that things aren't well with dairy. And that's just not true. Uh, to the point you made, since USDA has been tracking since 1975, dairy consumption is up 22% since 1975. So overall, dairy is doing well. Uh, the fluid milk sector has been declining. Uh, in 1996, uh, we were consuming about 24 gallons of milk per, per capita, and in 2018, that was down to 17 gallons per capita. So we've lost about a billion dollars worth of sales in the fluid milk sector. but. We are eating our dairy. We're eating it in cheese. We're eating it in yogurt. Uh, we're getting it in butter. We're getting it in uh, protein added to uh, sports drinks and to nutritional bars. So we're we're consuming our dairy in different ways. Uh, you know, cereal consumption's off. The 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 way Americans are having meals at home, breakfast and a bowl of cereal. We aren't doing that anymore. And we use the term here, uh, Spencer, that milk kind of came along for the ride with a bowl of cereal. Well, if there's no bowl of cereal, there's no place for milk to ride along with. So uh, we've also been in declining dairy prices at the farm level. We had dairy farmers go through about 40, 44, 48 consecutive months of low prices, which made it hard to spend money to upgrade and modernize uh, facilities. when you have that kind of decline in fluid milk consumption, you have overcapacity in the, in the marketplace on just strictly fluid milk. You haven't been able to upgrade those to the extended shelf life product, the ultra, the ultra pasteurized products. Uh, those all make that, that sector of the dairy industry a difficult sector, which is what we've seen with Dean Foods, which is what we've seen with Borden's. However, at the same time, we'd, we'd see it in between those two announcements. We have the announcements at Coca-Cola uh, is now the sole owner of Fairlife, which is a ultra-filtered, half the sugar, twice the protein beverage that a gallon jug of milk has been. So it's a dynamic industry. There's change like there is across agriculture. Innovation is going to be key to, to what we do. Uh, I like to say the consumer is our boss, uh, and we've got to start making what we can sell as opposed to selling what we make. So if we're if we're eating more of our dairy rather than drinking as we traditionally have and as you yeah. point out, that requires an extra step or two in the process to turn to turn that milk from the cow into cheese, into butter, into yogurt. How does that shape industry behavior? Well, it, it, it says that uh, the folks who are running our, our IDFA members who are doing all the processing, uh, uh, they have to be thinking about what types of plants they need, what types of equipment they need. Uh, They have to have access to capital to be able to make those changes. 
uh, modify plants, build new plants, expand plants. Uh, those are all part of the planning horizon and being uh, having the market intelligence to anticipate where the market's going to go and be prepared to meet that need once it gets there. So to me, those are all things that are consistent across any kind of business. You know, if you're in business today making a widget, you got to be thinking about what's the consumer going to be requesting and what's the demand, the market going to be demanding in the future. So what changes do you need to make today so that you're prepared, you're prepared for the future? Shifting gears here a little bit, with all of the different moving parts of this sector, there's got to be somebody there to push the button, got to be somebody there to, to place the milker. Is the labor fix that we saw in the House, that passed through the House and stalled currently in the Senate, is that at all an adequate approach to the issue in your mind? Well, you're exactly right. Labor's a huge issue. Uh, how do we find enough uh, labor to milk the cows on the dairy farms, which is the uh, beginning of the supply chain. We, we have to have the source, the, the milk uh, supply to, to make all the wonderful nutritious dairy products. Uh, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, given how polarized we are in this country today, uh, I think, it's, I think it's, it's heartening to see that they can come together on something like that. Uh, to your point, it'll be uh, interesting to see if that passes the Senate. We'd like to see it pass. We have supported it. Uh, it affects, uh, if we think about IDFA membership, we have a broad, diverse membership. We have the farmer-owned co-ops. Most of the farmer-owned co-ops are members, uh, the processors uh, members. So if, they, if it's in the dairy case, one of our members made it, uh, put it there. So we have cheese, ice cream, fluid milk, yogurt, butter, powder, infant formula. We have the major retailers, we have the co-ops, we have the proprietary companies, we have the multinationals. So we have a preponderance of, of, of members. And labor, a steady, reliable workforce, is absolutely essential to every one of them. So we have supported the immigration uh, legislation. We'd like to see it pass. We think it's a step in the right direction. And one of the things the bill would do was you know, make some tweaks that would inevitably allow dairy to qualify for H-2A. But I'll ask, is H-2A the right approach for the dairy industry? Well, we're not seasonal uh, in dairy, so uh, uh, we need year-round labor supplies, seven days a week. So it, 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 it does have some of that in it, but it also has some stuff for some uh, visas and some extended visas and, and green cards and those kinds of things so that people can uh, reliably show up for work every day. So we think, it's, we, again, are there things we'd like to see improved about it? Yes, but given where we are uh, with a political division in this country today, it's a step in the right direction. In the Senate, if it's, if it's not this bill, what is it? Is, or, or is it anything? I don't know. I don't know that the Senate will do anything on this. I mean, I, I hope they would pass this. I hope they'd find a way to do this. You know, we had the Gang of Eight from a few years ago on immigration. Uh, my sense is we could never, we could never get the Gang of Eight bill to move today, given the division in the country. So I don't know what the Senate does on this. I don't know if they'll do something different that then would have to come back to the House. I don't know if they take this up and reject it. I don't know if they just fail to fail to take up the issue. We talked earlier in our conversation about trade, and one of the things that the administration obviously did to compensate for trade losses was the market facilitation program. 
the language that we saw in there and the checks that were sent out to dairy country, was that a sufficient recognition of the impact the industry felt? Well, on, on dairy, one of the things we're, we're pleased about that this administration did on dairy, and I'll, I'll get to the broader question on market facilitation payments, but one of the things that, that came out of that that we're pleased about is I had conversations with Undersecretary Greg Eibaugh at USDA, and for the first time ever, uh, USDA purchased fluid milk uh, as part of those programs, and we worked with Feeding America to put fluid milk in food banks. It's the most requested item in a food bank. Uh, but the department had never done that before because it's a perishable product. So working with our IDFA fluid milk m members, working with Feeding America, and working closely with USDA, we were able to uh, have $235 million of purchases of fluid milk. Uh, our thought about that, Spencer, is twofold. One is it's doing the right thing for people, uh, for people in need. Secondly is uh, it won't move tremendous volumes of milk but we will expose people to a nutritious product that we may create more milk drinkers into the future and future generations. Uh, market facilitation payments to farmers uh, uh, clearly helped a uh, step in the right direction. Uh, this past year in agriculture, as you well know, was a very difficult year, not just from a trade perspective, but it was either too wet in the spring, we had uh, millions of acres of prevented plant acres, and then we had an early winter and a wet winter, so if you could get a crop out, you probably had problems harvesting your crop. Uh, and then with, with prices, commodity prices, what they were, uh, market facilitation certainly came in and, and helped with a tremendous help to farmers this past year, in spite of the fact it was a difficult year. The question will be, uh, what will be, uh, when will we get out of the market facilitation payments, when will we get back into normal trade flows and uh, more or less normal commodity prices. Do you think that's a trade question and an economic question or a political question? I think they're different. Uh, and what I mean by that, I think the USMCA may have been more of a political question and uh, that we wanted to do something. Uh, it was an old agreement. It needed to be updated. E-commerce wasn't around when we did NAFTA, what, 25 years ago. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, we, we in dairy probably were unique amongst most of agriculture in terms of USMCA in that we had duty-free market access to our number one market Mexico. But in Canada, we made, some, we made some changes and we made some advances and we had uh, three priorities for USMCA and we were successful in all three of those as IDFA. One was to do no damage and restore the Mexico market we did. Two was eliminate the class seven pricing in Canada, which we did. And three was to uh, gain market access to the Canadian market, which we did. Small, incremental, but we did. So I think NAFTA, USMCA is probably political because most of agriculture, from an agriculture perspective, most of agriculture is there. I think China is probably more, more economic and more strategic. Uh, and I think in the countryside, there's probably political support for what they're doing on China. And the concern is if we don't do something about China and some of the Chinese business practices soon, uh, it may be too late to do anything about those. So I think that one is different. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, Japan, there was recognition that we weren't in uh, TPP. Uh, our competitors, Japan's a little unique to me, it's probably more economic. 
in that when we weren't in uh, TPP and the others went forward, you know, most trade deals, you look at those and you can say, well, we're going to try to negotiate a trade deal, and if we don't, we're at status quo, but if we do, we have upside. Well, in the case of Japan, that we had a third factor. If we don't do something, our competitors are getting a, a, a ratcheted-down tariff structure each and every year, and they were going into the third year of a ratcheted-down tariff structure. So we were, we were getting displaced in the market, further and further displaced every year if we didn't do something. So a lot of economic drive on Japan to get us back and recover uh, and get us on a level playing field with our competitors on a tariff schedule with, with Japan. And uh, Ambassador Lighthizer and Dowd and the entire team at USTR did a good job uh, working on Japan, uh, especially for the first phase. We want to see butter and powder and other dairy expanded with phase two. But we're pleased to see that we got, got in on the Japan deal. It's a, it's a significant market for us. We think it'll be a growing market for us. I think it's our fifth largest market. I think that one's a little different. So they're all three different if I had to think about them. What is IDFA expecting or projecting in terms of, you know, is, is there a boon of increased sales abroad in 2020 because of these agreements? Or is there going to be some growing pains that are going to take a while to, to build up to where these agreements will, you know, potentially take us? I think, let's, uh, let's take them one by one. Let's think on USMCA. Uh, I, I think uh, when we stop the Class 7 F efforts with Canada and we gain some marginal uh, incremental market access in Canada, that, that'll be some positives to the business. Uh, but probably USMCA is going to be more of uh, bringing back some certainty into the market and uh, once again with our Canadian buyers that we can be seen as a reliable supplier. Uh, we have about a 74% market share of the dairy purchases that are made in Mexico. So being seen as a reliable, predictable supplier to that market is key. So I think that's what we'll probably see in the USMCA. I think in, China, in, in Japan, I think we have the opportunity to see some increased sales because we'll have some uh, benefit from some lower tariffs. And, and uh, we'll at least have a, a somewhat level playing field with our competitors now to, to access that market. And with what we're seeing in our uh, American cheeses, and winning the, the world contest on cheeses and those kinds of things, I think we'll do well in Japan, so I think that'll be an uptick in business. As it relates to China, uh, we see the numbers of uh, 40 to 50 billion in, uh, increased agriculture over two years. Uh, we're anxious to see uh, the specifics on that and see that sound and see what kind of uh, numbers there are for dairy. Uh, as I understand, the China on phase one was primarily programs, regulations, process, procedures, uh, and the tariffs would be coming in phase two and three. The Chinese market was growing for us. Again, as I said, it was about a $500 million market. We were down $75, $80 million as a result of the retaliatory tariffs. Uh, so we are optimistic that we'll see an increase in sales in, in China as a result of the deals. African swine fever, the need for protein, all those could play well for us. Hurts us on the feed side for feed grade whey, but uh, other dairy products that are high in protein helps us. You know, Spencer, I'd also hold out as we think about uh, extended shelf life and ultra pasteurizing milk, there's no reason we can't be sending milk, fluid milk, uh, especially from the west coast to China. 
I, I think there's significant upside opportunities in China. And then once we move from these three, we've also got to start thinking, as I said earlier, about other priority countries. Why not Vietnam? How about Indonesia? How about other Southeast Asia countries that were part of TPP that we haven't done anything with yet? Michael Dykes, we, we certainly want to uh, extend our appreciation and thank you for joining us. As is tradition, it is open mic and, and you have an open forum here to wrap things up. I, I'd have to say, uh, Spencer, um, as I wrap things up and I think about uh, where we are, uh, we are in a time of unprecedented change. American agriculture can respond to that. I believe and totally faith in American agriculture, we will respond to that, but we've got to respond quickly. Uh, change is upon us. The speed of change is faster. Uh, we've got to recognize that the consumer is boss. Uh, we've got to start making what we can sell rather than selling what we make, uh, which is all a part of change, and innovation has to be a part of that. We've got to start innovating more and more and more and more with our products uh, if we're going to be successful. And I believe with all my might that American agriculture will be successful. Uh, I have no doubts about that. The productive capacity of American agriculture uh, the value, the safe, wholesome value of the foods that we produce in this country are unparalleled anywhere in the world. Our thanks to Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Foods Association and our guest this week on Open Mic. You can hear more from Dykes and other dairy industry experts in our upcoming Deep Dive on Dairy podcast, available now on your favorite podcast platform. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most effective way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Spencer Chase.